Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Hello, Shiloh. Thanks for tuning into our live stream, whether you're at home in ISO, traveling, or maybe a friend shared it with you. We're stoked that you can join us. We're hoping that you can be in the building sometime too. We'd love to say hi in person, because if there's one thing we've appreciated in the last couple of years, it's, it's being somewhere in person. And seeing as this is a missions-focused week, where would you want to be in person if you had a million bucks and there was no co-restrictions, you could travel anywhere in the world? Would you fly to Venice? Would you go to New York or Paris? Or would it be Cape Town in South Africa or maybe Hong Kong, maybe Tasmania, uh, which by the way, you don't need international roaming for. It is part of Australia. So why don't you type on the chat the country or the city you most want to visit? Maybe you've been there before, you're going back. Maybe you've never been there before. Maybe you were born overseas and you wanted to go back home. Type the place you'd like to go on the chat. Um, I don't know about you, but um, when I'm killing time in a waiting room, one of the things I love to do is like spot the differences or other kinds of pattern puzzles. Because let's face it, you're in a waiting room. I don't know why it is that waiting rooms can't buy current magazines. It's always like 10 years old and it's just trashy gossip anyway. You don't need to read that. So I flip through to the puzzle section to try and find something to do. And it might be like a crossword um, or my favorite is like spot the differences. You know, it'd be like two beach scenes and there'll be one scene on one side, one scene on the other. This one will have an umbrella, that one have an umbrella. And so I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for what's missing in the pattern. I love patterns. I'm a bit of a nerd, right? And so when I read the Bible, sometimes I look for patterns. And I noticed a pattern recently. I don't know if you've seen it. I saw this pattern, right? And um, it was in the parables of Jesus. Now, if you're new to God, if you're new to Christianity, the parables of Jesus is where Jesus tells these little short stories. Some of them are real small, literally only a sentence or two. Now, others are a little bit longer, you know, like a couple dozen sentences. He tells a story and, you know, it can be about this or it can be about that. Often very simple things. But, but I noticed there was a pattern in all of these stories and it was actually how Jesus was separating people into groups, right? How he was dividing them up. And it's interesting because these patterns kind of stitched all the parables together the way like a thread would stitch a quilt together and make this beautiful, um, exquisite piece of art, right? So I noticed this pattern. Maybe you've seen the pattern too, right? It's in all the parables of Jesus. So um, for example, in the parable of the sower, it's all about this farmer sowing seed. In the parable of Um, The mustard seed, it's all about what the mustard seed grows into, which, spoiler alert, if you haven't heard that parable, is a big tree and birds kind of nest on the tree and all that kind of stuff. Um, In the parable of the hidden treasure, the treasure seeker does everything he can to possibly get the treasure. Very similarly, in the parable of the pearl of great price, the person who can see that the pearl is worth a lot goes out of his way, does everything he possibly can to get a hold of this pearl, right? In the parable of the lost uh, sheep, the shepherd goes to crazy lengths to go and rescue and bring back home this sheep that is actually lost, right? So in all of these parables and all the ones I didn't list, there's heaps of them. Uh, it seems to be that Jesus is like splitting people into groups or dividing people into groups. And the way he's doing that is really kind of the same, which is fascinating to me. Now, I know you're thinking, well, what kind of groups are you seeing there, Phil, in your little pattern hunting exercise, right? And it's, it's, it's surprising because he doesn't split them into the groups that you would expect Jesus to split them into. Like he doesn't split them into doctrinal groups saying, well, you believe this about tongues and you believe this about the Holy Spirit. Doesn't, doesn't do that at all, which is very odd 
because that's how Christians tend to split people into groups, right? We say, well, Catholics are here and Baptists are here and Presbyterians are here and Pentecostals are here. But that's actually not the kind of groups I see when I'm reading my Bible and maybe when you're reading your Bible, right? And equally odd, he doesn't split them into groups based on their Bible knowledge. He doesn't say, well, these people know the Bible this much and these people know the Bible this much and these people know the Bible this much. And it's not that God doesn't care about either of those things. Jesus is passionate about um, that kind of stuff. The Bible talks a lot about it. It just doesn't seem to be his number one focus when he's splitting people into groups, right? Which is encouraging to people like me. I don't know if it's encouraging to people like you if you think about it, because I have found that sometimes when I compare myself to other people, I come up short, right? So like you sometimes can feel like, well, I don't know the Bible as well as this person does or that person does. They seem to know the Bible a lot better. So when I'm in need of a miracle and I pray, is God going to answer my prayer? Because I don't know the Bible as well as that person knows the Bible. They can read it at a level that I can't read. They can quote it in Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, any of those original languages. I'm not even, my idea of Greek food is a Slovakia, and I'm not even sure what Aramaic actually is. And so you can have that viewpoint and then that can kind of like creep into your thinking. Or if it's about separating people into groups based on what they know, then there's all this pressure because it's like, well, I better vote the right way politically. I better have the right view on masks or vaccines or whatever else. Because if I'm on the wrong side of that debate, then maybe Jesus will get upset at me and then he'll he'll push me aside and he'll, he'll categorize me into a category I don't want to be in. And so we can get all knotted up on this stuff because we're stressed and we're trying to find the answer. You know, and we look at somebody next to us and we're like, well, that person's been a Christian for 30 years. They've got it all figured out. Or that person's been a Christian for 50 years and they've got it figured out. I don't have any of that figured out. So I guess Jesus is going to categorize me or lump me into some kind of a group. And then I read this and I find it encouraging because I'm like, hello, Jesus isn't, isn't looking at me like that. Jesus isn't doing that. But then I got a little bit alarmed because I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. Hang on a minute. If Jesus is not lumping me into categories based on what I doctrinally believe, if he's not shifting me into categories based on my political views and my views on the vax or whatever else, then what is he separating into people for? Like, well, what are the groups? And what group am I in? And all that stuff sort of clouded my thinking. And so um, what I did was I went back to the Bible and I dug up one last parable, but not just any parable. No, 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 no. I went to a parable about Judgment Day. The final day where everybody's sins and stuff gets weighed up. I went to a parable about that. And it's an unusual parable because it's not kind of just a parable. It's actually an account of what's going to happen. But to give us a better understanding of how it's all going to play out within this story, within this account, within this picture of the future, God tells a parable. So it's kind of like a parable within a story, within an account, within a parable. It's very confusing, but it is pretty incredible. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 45. Matthew 25, 31 to 45. If you normally read your Bible on your phone and you're watching this on your phone, we'll chuck it up on the screen so you can read along. Um, If you've got a physical Bible, you might grab that. You might want to highlight this. This scripture is a game changer and you will see the pattern that is emerging in scripture. This is what it says. It says, But when the Son of Man, so Jesus is talking about himself, comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Pause because that's a bit to chew on. That might even be a little bit heavy for you to chew on here on a Sunday night or if you're tuning some other time, right? 
Um, but if you think about it, it's actually not that heavy. It's actually kind of relieving, right? Like think about it. So Jesus is painting a picture here. Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is sitting on a throne, right? And he's staring out at a sea of humanity, every single person that was ever born, people from the day that Jesus actually spoke this, who were in the room through to people like you and I, right? So there's all kinds of people in the crowd, people that um, actually got a chance to, to communicate with Jesus in person, ask him all kinds of questions. But then right next to those people are people like us, people like you, people like me, that never got to ask Jesus, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or no-trib rapture? People that never got to ask him, what is the right stance on the vaccine? What should we vote for in this coming election? People that never got to have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, those people are there in the crowd too. They're all gathered together in one place, right? People that knew ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew and Aramaic and could quote all of those scriptures, and people like us, that don't know any of those languages because they're basically, for all intents and purposes, dead languages, right? Um, It's got people in the crowd that have been Christians uh, for a long time. They died in their 90s and they've been a Christian for over 80 of those years. And there are also people in the crowd that maybe were born in 2005 and maybe have only been a Christian for two years. Everybody and anybody's in this crowd, right? And in and amongst the sea of the human race is Jesus on his throne with all the angels and the glory around him, right? And he's describing what happens next. And to do that, he uses a parable. He says he separates people the way you would separate sheep from goats, right? Which is rich symbolic language. It's parable language, right? But he's basically talking about splitting people up into two types of groups. Once again, a layer of separation. And it's the same theme if you're a pattern spotter that is in every other parable, but it comes to its full fruition here, right? He doesn't split people up based on their doctrinal beliefs. He doesn't split people based on their biblical knowledge, but he splits them into groups based on what they did. Now, if you're like, you lost me, Phil, hang with me, I'll explain, right? The parable of the sower is based on what the farmer did. The parable of the treasure seeker is based on what the treasure seeker did. The parable of the pearl of great price is based on what the uh, seeker of the pearl did. The parable of the lost sheep is based on what the shepherd did. The, um, uh, the, all of these parables have this theme based on what the people do. So in the parable of the sheep and the goats, it's based on what they do, right? Now, the time that the New Testament was written, even this, even before Jesus would have finished speaking, they would have been shocked. Their jaws would have dropped. And... I know you're thinking, well, I know what would have shocked him. He was talking about heaven and hell, but I don't think that would have shocked him because the only people who find the idea of heaven and hell shocking are people who live in the West in the last 50 years. For thousands of years, nobody's found the idea of heaven and hell alarming. In fact, uh, there are different religions that have different versions of heaven and hell. Even in fact, if you were to jump on a plane and go to some of those countries that maybe you listed earlier, they wouldn't find the idea too shocking either. I go all over the world and most people don't uh, struggle with the idea of heaven and hell. It's just people in the West. So I don't think that's what would have bothered them, right? I don't think they would have been freaking out over that, right? No, no, no. I'll give you a clue. The thing that would have shocked them was what Jesus was looking for out of the sheep and goats in the way they lived their lives. You see, the people that were listening to Jesus speak this verbally in the room. They would have grown up on stories of Roman and Greek and Egyptian and Phoenician heroes, right? People who did something to get into their version of heaven or paradise or whatever, right? 
And the thing is, they didn't do little deeds to get into heaven. They did massive things. They slayed giants. They defeated mythical beasts. They conquered cities. They changed the course of nations. They defeated gods. Those were the kinds of heroic tales kids grew up on. In fact, even little Jewish kids would have grown up on stories somewhat like that. You know, they grew up with stories of David killing Goliath and, um, you know, Samson defeating an army of evil Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and, um, you know, stuff like uh, Elijah praying down a pillar of fire from Mount Carmel. And, and so here we have Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sitting on the throne. King Jesus leans forward, right, and explains on this moment of final judgment, he explains what he would want to see from people in order for them to get to heaven. Now, what would King Jesus want them to do? Was he going to ask them to sacrifice a child like some of the pagan gods of that day required? Uh, would he want you to kill a bear or a lion with your bare hands, you know, as a mark to get you good enough to get you into heaven? Uh, would he ask you to perform a spiritual miracle like parting the oceans like Moses did? See, I've read this scripture before, but I was reading it again with brand new eyes and I was hanging on with bated breath because I'm noticing things I haven't noticed before. I mean, what would you do? What would I do? I don't know about you, but I live in Australia. And so there aren't any lions or bears for me to kill to get into heaven, right? So is Jesus about to explain that I have to shave my head and move to Tibet and become a monk? Is that what he's going to talk about? Or is it that I have to memorize the whole Bible back to front in its original language or I don't get into heaven? Is he going to talk about um, the fact that I need to throw out my TV and my phone and go Amish and, you know, uh, run away from everything that is in the world? Um, uh, what do I need to do to make sure I'm with the sheep and I'm not with the goats, right? Now, this question, this is the question that would have shocked people. Because you see, up until that point in history, in most of the major religions of the world, people weren't given a clear answer to this question. No one really quite knew what they had to get to heaven. They tried different things to make the gods happy, but the gods were often unhappy and it didn't actually work out. And so people were stressed. They didn't know. They didn't know. You had to do your best. And then you hope when you died that if you got to meet whatever God you believed in, that maybe that guy would let you into heaven. Even right now, if you were to travel around the world and talk to people um, from different major religious groups, you would find there's a whole lot of people that just don't know that even though they're practicing their religion, is it going to be enough to get to heaven? Like, for example, if you're a Hindu, you don't know what you're going to be reincarnated into until you actually die. Or if you believe in Buddhism, you don't really fully gap your head around the idea of nirvana. It's confusing at best, even if you are uh, a believer in Islam. You know, one of the things is that Allah basically reserves the right to not let you into heaven, even if you do everything right, because he's a God. He can do what he wants, right? And so all these people are living with this confusion. And Jesus starts speaking on the throne, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he leans forward and he does something shocking. He starts to divide people into sheep and into goats. Again, a parable. He's describing how he's splitting people up, right? But Jesus is the ultimate rule breaker. He's the ultimate norm shatterer, right? He is not like anybody else. And he's once again proving he's not like any other religion or any other God. He is unique. He will give you the answer to the test before you take the test. He's about to tell us what we need to do to make sure we are in the right group. Verse 35. <clears throat> For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, uh, Lord, 
when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you some hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Pause. Now, I don't know if you just picked up what happened in that verse, right? It is mind-blowing, right? Um, See, what Jesus is doing... (laughs) is he's demonstrating something that I love about the Bible. See, a lot of people think, oh, well, the Bible is just written thousands of years ago for people that lived thousands of years ago. It doesn't apply today. No, 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 no. That's actually not true. And this parable is proof of that. Jesus is describing what is going to happen on Judgment Day. And Jesus is actually referencing something that I think makes a lot of sense. He's referencing the fact that there will be people there that have never met Jesus like you and I. And they have never had an opportunity to hear him speak these words, right? And he's proving that the parable actually includes people like you and I. It includes people from Ipswich. It includes people from Brisbane. It includes people from Queensland, from Australia. It includes people that were living in 2022. They are actually in this story. You are in this story. You are in this parable. You are in the account of the sheep and the goats. You are one of those two groups, right? Because you can just imagine, if you will, you're there, right? The sea of humanity. Everybody you've ever met is there and everybody you've never met is there. Just a swarm of people as far as the eye can see. And everybody's actually looking at the throne. There is King Jesus sitting on the throne. Angels swirling around in power and glory. This is judgment day. And Jesus steps out and says, this is what you need to do to be a part of the sheep and not the goats. And he lists all these things. And then there's a pause. And then somebody, probably an Australian, only an Australian would have the guts to do this, puts up their hands and says, excuse me, King Jesus, I uh, I don't want to be that guy. Like I really don't. But um, but I was, I, I was born like a long time after you died, um, like a really long time, like thousands of years, in fact. And um, so because I was like born after a long time after you died, I, 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 I don't think I would have been able to do any of those things. Now, hear my heart, Jesus. I love you. I I, I pray every day. I I go to church every week. I read my Bible. Um, But the thing is, Jesus, uh, I I never saw you uh, until today. This is the first time I've seen you. So sure, if you're thirsty, I'll get you the the best sparkling water you can imagine. I'll buy you a bottle of San Pellegrino, the good stuff. I'll get it for you, Jesus, if, if you need clothes. I'll look after you. I'll drive you to Orion myself. I'll buy you the best threads I can. Jesus, if you need somewhere to stay, you know, you can stay in my house or I'll put you up in a hotel. I'll find the best hotel, Jesus. I'll look after you. Then if you've got COVID, Jesus, and even if I'm going to risk catching it, I'll look after you. I'll nurse you back to health. But the thing is, Jesus, I, 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 I hate to be that guy. I don't want to be rude. But the thing is, Jesus, I didn't meet you till today. How could I have done any of those things? So does that mean I miss out? Does, does that mean I'm, I'm not part of the good group? <laughs> because Jesus, I tried in life. I did. Now, I know I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. I messed up. I made some real messes in my life. But, but the thing is, Jesus, I tried. And if I had known you were any of those things, hungry or thirsty or whatever, I, I would have looked after you. But I didn't know. I only just saw you face to face today. I can imagine you put up your hand, you bravely speak those words. Every single person 
who had ever not physically met Jesus is staring at you right now. Because even though they didn't have the guts to ask the question, they were thinking the same thing. So they're looking at you. All of heaven is silent. You could hear a pin drop. And then they turn from you and they look at King Jesus. What is his response going to be? Everybody waits, heart beating hard in your chest. Boom, 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 boom. And it was only a split second, but it would have felt like an eternity. Then Jesus leans forward and he begins to speak. Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Mind blown, right? This would have been absolutely, completely and utterly shocking. And I think it will be shocking when we get to Judgment Day, right? Can you imagine all the hushed conversations? It would have been like, around over the whole crowd, like as people, it would have been like clicking for people like, oh my gosh, there was no lions I had to kill. Oh my gosh, there was no cities I had to topple. Oh my gosh, there was no giants that I had to wrestle, none at all. Something far more shocking God was requiring from me than any of those heroic deeds, right? And it actually carries the same thread in scripture that we see through all the parables of Jesus. It comes to its full fruition in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Bang, I don't know if you're seeing it. I'm seeing it too. But it includes a little twist because Jesus never does the same thing exactly the same. He's pretty creative. I preached about that a couple of weeks ago. It includes this whole idea of you were entertaining Jesus and you didn't even know it. That's also a thread in scripture. Like for example, when Abraham takes the three guests, he doesn't realize he's entertaining someone supernatural. His first instinct is these, these, these people, they're, they're men, they're normal guys. Um, what about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they go into the flames of fire and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar and his guards, they see a fourth man in the fire, but they don't actually realize it ain't a man, it's something supernatural. Every year at Christmas time, all over the world, people buy each other presents and celebrate the fact that Jesus turned up and most people didn't realize it. And so there's this whole moment that is happening right now. It's shocking. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? I was around you even when you didn't even realize it. And I don't mean in a physical sense that every single person thirsty was actually Jesus personified. No, no, no. They, they kind of become like a proxy for Jesus. A bit like when you go into a uh, your favorite store, like maybe type your favorite store in the chat right now. It might be EB Games, might be uh, you know Chanel, uh, might be like Novo Shoes, whatever. And, and you meet the retail assistant. You're not meeting the CEO you're not meeting the board of the company, but they act as kind of like a proxy. They're representing the company in that moment. When somebody's thirsty, when somebody's hungry, when somebody's naked, when somebody's in prison, these people in that moment when they need your help, they are kind of like proxies for Jesus, right? So you can just imagine the doubt and the disbelief and the shock emanating through the crowd. I can imagine, I can picture it in my mind's eye. Maybe you can too. A couple of Shiloh people standing next to each other going, when, when, wait, when we went down the street and delivered bags of food to those people, that Cambodian guy, Jesus, whoa, whoa, time out. Hang on a minute. You mean when we went to Bandamba and we gave water out to those people, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. That time we let that person sleep under the shelter because uh, they had nowhere else to go. So we looked after them, Jesus. That family that we helped that one time, Jesus, 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 and Jesus. Right. 
Jesus doesn't divide people based on doctrine. Jesus doesn't provide people based on biblical intellectualism. Jesus divides people based on their compassion. He divides people based on their love, which he explains even further in verse 41. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, <laughs> Lord, uh, uh, where, 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 when did we ever see you uh, hungry or thirsty or thirsty uh, or, or a stranger or, or naked uh, or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. This moment, <laughs> earth splitting. It's like that TV show, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've watched a few episodes, Undercover Boss, where basically if you haven't seen it, the premise is like it's some big corporation and some massive CEO like wears a disguise and stuff so people don't recognize him. And he goes and he kind of, he works at the lowest level of the organization. So it might be like a CEO of a pizza chain and he goes and works in a little shop selling the pizzas or whatever. And he just acts like a pleb and he hangs out with everybody and he talks to them about their stories and he learns about what it's like to be in the company and all that kind of stuff, right? And um, it's always pretty interesting. Every episode's kind of the same. There's like always somebody that's like really struggling in life and like everything's gone wrong for them. And But, but you know, even though their lives are just a total mess and it's like, you know, they must have run over a hundred mirrors or something because nothing's gone well for them. And they're like really good people. And even though this person is like, uh, they think he's a total nobody, they still treat him like they're special, like they're valuable. And then there's always some other guy floating around that's kind of, um, you know, not, not the greatest human being on planet Earth. You know what I mean? And, you know, they're doing well in life. They're rubbing it in and they treat this person who they think is a nobody as just like lower than them and less than them. And then there's this moment at the end of the episode where like the mask comes off and it's like, guess what? I'm the undercover boss. And everyone's like, wow, man, holy moly. And then they pull out the person that's had a, like a hard time in life and they reward them openly in front of everybody else and they lavish them with gifts and they sort out all their life's problems and, you know, boom, they get a promotion. And then the other dude that thought he was eating a bit and treated the other guy at scum, yeah, he kind of gets what's coming to him. So it's kind of like that, right? But it's happening right now. And you can just imagine it. But, 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 but God, I know the Bible cover to cover. I know the whole thing. Uh... Yeah, that's cool, but you're still a goat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but God, I'm correcting how I vote. I'm correcting my vaccine stance. I'm correcting my interpretation of this scripture and that scripture. In fact, now that I think about it, I'm one of the most correct people I know. <laughs> and Jesus is like, that's true, but um, you're still a goat. Yeah, but Lord, I mean... Her, she can't even quote 25 Bible verses. You know, she's not the most biblically literate person I know. And then Jesus kid would say, yeah, that's true. And uh, we're going to have to work on that. But I'll have all eternity in heaven to, to work on that with her because, you know, um, she's one of the sheep. Yeah, yeah, but but God, <laughs> um, uh, but but not that guy. I mean, surely not that guy. God, he's the most annoying person in our church. He will he will he will get you stuck in conversations after the service for ages, and and he's always posting weird stuff on Facebook. He's he's kind of cringeworthy. God, you got to admit that. Yeah, that's true. But I'll work on his social skills in heaven. I've got an eternity to teach him that stuff. He's one of my sheep. See. The Christian world is obsessed with what we don't do. 
I don't do drugs. I don't wear skimpy outfits. I don't smoke. I don't hang out with bad people. I don't listen to this band. I don't watch that artist, right? I don't do this and I don't do that. And that's all great. Keep my heart. Holiness and purity and doctrine and biblical understanding are all extremely important. Hear my heart. Understand what I'm saying. Those things are extremely important to your walk with Christ. But if you do all of those things and you fail to love and you fail to embody the love of Christ, then you are in serious trouble, right? Uh, It shows that our true redemption isn't just on what we don't do. It's about what we actually do do, if that makes sense, right? So this is all quite shocking. When I read, I understood. I was like, mind blown, right? So I had to take some time to think about and ask myself, well, why does it matter so much, not just what we don't do? Why does it matter so much what we do do? And I come up with three things. If you're taking notes um, or if you're paying attention, why don't you type number one in the chat, either the number or the words, number one, What you do determines what you believe. What you do determines what you believe. Like, have you ever heard people or met people that have said one thing and done another? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I love you. You know, we're going to be here for you when the floods happen. And then then, then the floods happen. They don't take your phone calls. You know what? I always think that those people believe more what they do than what they say. Um, you know, a guy can say that he loves you and, you know, all of that. But if he treats you poorly, then maybe he doesn't love you as much as he says he does. I love, I say, like I say sometimes how much I love to, to diet and look after my weight. And, but my belly would probably tell you that I also enjoy a good beef curry from time to time, maybe a little bit more than I enjoy that other stuff, right? The proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? Um, what you do demonstrates what you believe. It's, it's, it's like this, right? Um, uh, let's take, take my marriage, for example, right? Let's, let's make it personal. Um, I love my wife. And one of the things that I love to do for her because I love her so much is I love to buy her flowers, Now, I did not notice this at first. If you're single, pay attention. If you're new in in a relationship, pay attention. I didn't realize this, but a girl's taste in flowers can actually change. So when we first started going out, Crystal was a tulips girl. And uh, for the record, she moved on to lilies and then she moved on to roses now, which is a current favorite flower. But she was a tulips girl. And so I would buy her tulips. And when they weren't in season, I would specially import these ones that were grown in a lab or something. You can get out of season. They cost a lot more, but I did it because I love her, right? I'd give her all these flowers. And, and, and her taste changed, and she didn't say anything for ages. I was giving her all these flowers and spending all this money to show her I love her. And finally, one day, she said something, and I said, babe, why didn't you tell me that? I, I would have bought you different flowers. She said, you know, I thought about it. She goes, but the thing is, it's not about the flowers. It's about the action, and the action that you are doing in buying me these flowers demonstrates how much you love me. And that made my heart melt. You know, and we get this, right? We understand this. We see it in everyday life, right? What you do demonstrates what you believe, right? So it's not that doctrine or the word of God isn't important. It's mission critical, right? But the proof that you've actually absorbed the word of God when you've read it and you understand doctrine is not in your head. It's in your hands, right? It's all about your actions. Like if you're a spirit-filled believer, I should actually see it in your life, not just highlighted in the Bible, right? If you're somebody who studies a biblical model on prayer and has read a lot about that, that's cool. But I should actually see that not just on your bookshelf. I should see that in the way you pray, how often you pray, the style you pray, all of that kind of stuff, right? I've met Bible college students before, plenty of them, who don't actually read their Bibles and pray every day because they're too busy, right? But yet I've also met Christians 
who pray dumb prayers and read the Bible in weird ways. And I got to tell you, I prefer the latter group and I think so does Jesus, right? You know, um, it's not that head knowledge isn't great, but head knowledge always translates to life experience. So what you actually believe will come out in the way you live your life. What you do demonstrates what you believe. At work, at school, at home, with friends, with family, in every area of your life, what you actually believe will be demonstrated by what you do, right? What do you believe about your family? What do you believe about your friends? What do you believe about your girlfriend? What do you believe about your children? That will come out in the way you live your life. So if you want your friends and family to know that you love them, don't just say it, show it. If you want to do well at work, don't just say it, do it. If you uh, want to make peace with people that you become estranged with, don't just think about it, do something about it, right? Which brings me to my second point. My second observation about this little parable, number two, type number two in the chat, Doing nothing bad can still be bad if you haven't done something good. Let me say that again. Doing nothing bad can still be bad if you haven't done something good. Now, this is one of the more shocking parts of this parable, right? It's not enough to live a sinless life. We need to live productive lives too, right? Um, and believe it or not, I thought about this. This is actually one of the most gracious and encouraging things in all of Scripture, because can we just get real for a moment? Hey, it's online. You don't have a massive audience. We can be real, right? Um, uh, none of us are perfect. We've all made a mess of at least one area of our life over the years. And if you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. It'll probably happen. Um, uh, we, we, none of us have got it all figured out, right? All of us need a miracle in one or two areas of our lives. And there, there's this little voice in all of our heads saying, you don't deserve the miracle because of this or because of that, right? Uh, you know, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. You're probably not a perfect mother and I'm not a perfect father. That's okay. You're not a perfect businessman and they're not perfect friends and that's okay too. Um, you're not perfect at this and they're not perfect at that and that's okay because the reality is none of us are perfect and that's okay because this scripture says that's not the defining line. In fact, you could be perfect. You could have never made a mess and never committed a sin and still be bad if you haven't done something good because it's not enough to live a sinless life. We need to live productive lives too. Which brings me to missions. People often ask me, Phil, why do you care about missions so much? And I say, simple. There is a world full of Jesuses who are hungry, Jesuses who are thirsty, Jesuses who are naked, Jesuses who are in prison, Jesuses who are sick, Jesuses who are dying. There's a world full of them. And, and, and can I just be real? Can I actually be vulnerable? I'm not perfect either. You, you know, um, just because I'm a pastor it doesn't change the fact that I'm human like everybody else. I make mistakes like everybody else. I say dumb things just like everybody else. And, you know, even at church, sometimes I preach a message into a camera like this, which I find really nerve wracking, by the way. And I'll go home that night and think, ah, oh, why did I say it like that? I could have said it like this. That would have been so much better. Or I analyze the decisions I make in church. And I think, could I have done that better? I could have done this better, right? Uh, I'm human like everybody else. But the thing is, I don't want to spend my entire waking life running around proving to a world that is hungry, thirsty, and in prison how perfect I actually am, right? I want to spend my lifetime on this little blue marble we call earth, right? I want to spend my lifetime feeding Jesus in Nepal who is hungry. 
I want to spend my lifetime giving a bottle of water to Jesus in Bundamba who is thirsty. I want to spend my lifetime um, uh, uh, freeing uh, Jesus on a Friday night at youth who's imprisoned. Uh, I, I want to visit Jesus in Japan who is lonely. I, I, I want to um, I, I want to teach uh, Jesus in, in the Philippines, uh, you know, who's uneducated. I want to help uh, Jesus in Zambia who's got COVID. Uh, and, and if you're new to this church, if you just tuned in and you're like, I'm only going to watch a minute and you're still here. Well, congratulations, first of all. But let me, can, can I just, can I just be real and warn you of something? This church is not perfect. <laughs> Shiloh's not perfect. No church is perfect, but let's get real here. If you're watching this and you're from our church, you know what I'm saying. Give us a wave. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect, right? Uh, we, we're humans just like you. Sometimes we say things that, you know, we look back on and we're like, that's a little bit dumb. Uh, sometimes at church, we, we've, we've done things and we think, hmm, that could have been done better. You, you know, this is a gathering point for real life humans, warts and all, right? But this is the thing. Although we're not perfect, we do believe in the biblical statement that God is love. We believe that, right? Wholeheartedly. And we want people to see that in our lives, right? Uh, the name Christian literally means little Christ. And so we're praying that in our lives, that when we feed the Jesus in somebody else, that they'll see the Jesus in us. When we uh, give a bottle of water to the Jesus in somebody else, they'll see the Jesus in us. When we clothe the Jesus in somebody else, they'll see the Jesus in us. When we rescue the Jesus in somebody else, that they'll see the Jesus in us. We're not perfect, but the Jesus in us actually is, Right. And someone asked me, well, how long do you think Shiloh will do missions for? And I was like, as long as we exist. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can't take Shiloh out of missions and you can't take missions out of Shiloh. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA, right? Missions isn't something that you just squeeze in. It's not, would you like fries with that? It's the burger. It's not an afterthought. It's the main thought, right? Um, we do it so that we can minister to the Jesus in somebody else and they can see the Jesus in us. Because doing bad, can still be bad if you haven't done something good. And at Shiloh, we're all about doing something good. Why do you think we started that feeding program in the 90s where we wanted to feed people in our community, which has gone on to feed tens of thousands of people? At Shiloh, we do good. <laughs> it's simple. Um, why did we house hundreds of people in the 2011 floods? It was simple. We do good. <laughs> yeah, but why did... Uh, last year, when there was a lockdown, why did we raise like $10,000 to feed people in Nepal? Oh, well, <laughs> simple. We, we, we do good. Yeah, but why did we work round the clock like six weeks ago when this year's floods hit? Simple. We, we do good. <laughs> um, why did we go and help uh, uh, renovate and send money to a drug and alcohol rehab center in Toowoomba that we haven't had heaps to do with? We just heard there was a need. Simple. We do good. <laughs> And why would we devote an entire Sunday service to talk about missions when there's a million other things we could talk about? Simple. We do good. Nothing bad can still be bad if you don't do something good. And we're Shiloh. We do good, right? What is missions? It's just a fancy Christian way of saying doing good, right? You know, why send a team of young people to Japan in November for a missions trip? Easy. I don't just want to teach young people to be right. I want to teach them to do good. Well, why are we going to take a team from our church also in November? So that's going to create conflict and challenges in our, our schedule. Why would we do that in November? Take a team to the Torres Strait Islands and Cape York, do crusades. Simple. 
I want to give people an opportunity to do good. We're Shiloh Church. We do good here. Um, wherever we go, we do good there. In Vietnam, we do good. In Georgia, we do good. In Japan, we'll do good. That's what we do. We're Shiloh Church. We do good, right? Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. But the Jesus inside our hearts actually is. And we believe as we minister to the Jesus in somebody else that they'll see the Jesus in us, right? Jesus loves you and he wants to do good. Missions isn't a fad. It isn't a trial. It isn't a see how you'll go, right? It isn't even an option. It's about doing good. And at Shiloh, we do good. That's part of our DNA. In the job interview for Shiloh, um, uh, I was rabbiting on about missions and you know community projects and stuff. And someone asked me a question. I forget the exact wording, but it was, it was basically along the lines of like, so you want our church, if you were to take the church as being uh, active in missions, and you want it to be known for that. And I said, you mean being known for doing good? Yeah, I want to be known for doing good. Um, I said, the world out there might think we believe in a fairy tale, but I want them proud of the fact that we're in the community because they know that we do good locally, nationally, and across the globe, right? We are passionate about doing good. That's what I want the community to think about us. And so being real, we can't be in every nation and respond to every single need and every single disaster. We would exhaust ourselves and cease to exist. So what we do is actually pretty simple. It's not really that complicated at all, right? We do whatever we can, the best we can. And I promise you that that's what we're always going to do. So, so how does that practically look? Well, so Krista and I, what we do is we pray. We say, King Jesus, where are you hungry? Where are you thirsty? Where are you imprisoned? Where are you sick? Where are you lonely? Where are you dying? Where do you need rescuing? And we just wait for an answer. And then he gives us a nation. He'll say, well, we'll go here. We'll go there. And then we try and find people on the ground that we can partner with because, you know, people on the ground have often have a better idea of the specific needs. So not just food, but this food in this particular area or that particular area, not just medicine, this particular type of medicine or whatever. Um, and, you know, they speak the language which helps. <clears throat> so we partner with people on the ground and we meet people's needs. Sometimes we feed them like we did with Nepal. Sometimes we, uh, we buy clothing for people, or we can blankets or whatever. Uh, sometimes they want us to go over and hold church services and pray for them and uh, minister to them in that way. Uh, sometimes it's other things. And, you know, uh, the COVID environment, the pandemic thing has, has changed that dramatically, obviously, because we can't just get on a plane and go over where we want. But I'll tell you what it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed our commitment to have an impact, nor has it actually changed the fact that we are having an impact. Like in Vietnam, for example, um, I felt like when I was praying, I felt like God was saying, you need to do some church planting. Um, and the thing is, I couldn't get on a plane and you couldn't get on a plane with me. We couldn't go to Vietnam to go and plant churches together. So I thought, well, maybe there's somebody else that can do it in our place. And so we reached out and long story short, we found some guys in Vietnam that are passionate church planners, evangelists. They have a heart from God and they're local Vietnamese people. And we said, how can we help? And they said, well, it's pretty hard walking hundreds of kilometers, going from village to village, starting these churches up. And, uh, and not only is it hard walking there, but even when we get there, sometimes we don't even have a guitar or any instruments to get church going with. We can't launch the church because there's nothing to launch it with. There's no communion crackers or whatever. We said, we can help with that. We can do that. So we got behind it. We did a miracle month thing last year. We raised a whole bunch of money. We bought a bunch of motorbikes. We said, here's a motorbike. 
And here's some seed funding so you can get your churches started. And they're planting churches all over northern Vietnam now, in the jungles, in places you and I couldn't get to. You know what that means? We're doing good in Vietnam. Couldn't get on a plane, but we can do good, right? We, we, we can't always be there in person. And you can't always be on every missions trip or everything, but you can always do good. And at Shiloh, that's what we do. We do good, right? So let me just quickly run through all the projects that we're doing all over the world this year. And we might do other stuff next year. We might have done other stuff in the past. But for this year, this is what we're looking at right now. God might drop another thing on my heart. You never know. He's full of surprises like that. But as it stands, as of today, filming this, this is what we're going to do, right? In no particular order. Um, we're going to continue to do stuff in Japan, uh, in Vietnam. Vietnam, sorry. We're going to buy more of those motorbikes. We're going to send more of those people out there. We're also supporting Pat and Gina, who are our homegrown heroes, came from Shiloh, and they're out on the mission field. I'm hoping to actually dial them in on a Skype on one Sunday. So, you know, you've got to be in the building for that. Um, and they're just doing a tremendous work in Hanoi. Um, but they're also supporting uh, churches and, and other uh, Christian groups right across the nation. So we're, we're touching the nation of Vietnam. We're going to be going to Japan. That's been one of those ones that's come out of nowhere last year. I really felt like God put it on my heart and I took a step of faith and said, all right, church, we're going to go to Japan and bang, all these things have started to come in. So we're going to take a youth and young adult team over there and God is already setting stuff up for us to do some significant youth and young adult outreaches in that nation. So if you're a young person, come. And if you're an older person, why don't you sponsor a young person to go on a trip like this? It'll change their life, right? That's happening in November. Uh, Nepal, we're going to continue to do stuff. Um, uh, one of the things that we're doing is we're building a church in Nepal, not a Shiloh church. We're just supporting somebody else's thing, right? Somebody was in need. We helped them out. So we talked about this in Miracle Month last year. Um, there's a rural village and um, God had just done a massive work. There's a real move of God in the village and a whole bunch of people got saved. So this church started, but they had no building. They were meeting under trees and in fields and all kinds of stuff. So the pastor started praying, Lord, Lord, give me a field so we can meet in. And so this guy in the village, which is a pretty shocking thing on a predominantly Hindu nation, just donated all this land and said, run your church in the land. But he didn't have a building. He didn't have anything to do. So he started to pray. Long story short, got connected with us. And it was kind of like one of those Jesus things. Jesus was asking, would you build a building? And guess what? You did. I did. We all put into Miracle Month last year. We're building a building for him. So that's awesome. Let's celebrate that. I can't wait till we can get on a plane and go and see it. Or um, we can get Pastor Ashok and some of his team over here in Australia and you can meet them and you can hear more about that. We're also supporting a whole bunch of pastors on the ground there by buying cows and chickens and coffee beans and stuff so they can generate an income so that they can stay in their villages and continue to support the church and they don't have to leave and go to a major city. Um, we're going to be going to the Torres Strait Islands in Cape York at the end of the year. I'll be doing kind of like a scouting mission in a couple months just over a weekend and then I'm going to take a whole team at the end of the year and we are going to do crusades. So we're going to be laying hands on the sick. We're going to be casting out demons. It's going to be phenomenal. You should come to that. Uh, we, we, we're going to be doing some stuff in Georgia, as we have for a number of years now. Uh, we're partnering with Blair and Althea, also from our church. Got uh, married a long time ago here. Uh, some of you who've been around Shiloh while will know them. They run a printing press. They run Bible training. They support the local community. They do so much good stuff. We did a video um, a couple of months back about them, and we've had them preach in our church. And I'm hoping to be able to go and see it in person one day. We can get on a plane, so we're going to continue to that. Um, in the Philippines, 
We support Margaret Pashley, who's over on the ground. She just does a phenomenal job. It would take a whole video to list all of the things that Margaret does, but she particularly reaches out to kids that have been marginalized in the Philippines and have no other options, right? And a lot of those kids, she trains them, she gives them Bible training, feeds the family, all the rest of that. They've come through the ranks and they've actually now become pastors, which is amazing. And so this thing is really growing. So Shiloh's support over the years has done tremendous things. I'm believing it's gonna to continue to do that. Um, we're gonna do more indigenous language projects, which really ministers not just to Outback Australia, but right across Indigenous communities around this nation, right? Um, a couple new things. We are going to uh, get into Africa. Now, this is one of those ones where it was like, I felt like Jesus put it on my heart and said, um, I really want you to do something in Africa. And I said to God, well, obviously there's great need in Africa. I get that. But where am I, like, where would I go? Who would I partner with? So I prayed one of those crazy, crazy prayers that your senior pastor likes to pray, which, you know, I, I don't pray them. They're not, they're dangerous. Don't do this, right? Don't, don't, kids, don't try this at home. I just said to God, I tell you what, Lord, I want to do it. So this is what we'll do. If you bring the right person on my path and they have a conversation, I will not turn you away, Jesus. Little did I know that that right person wasn't in Africa, was actually in our congregation. And so we have an incredible lady. Her name is Charlotte. She's a GP in our community. And uh, she's the director, or she became the director only a couple months ago, of a not-for-profit based in Zambia that her mother has run for many, many years. And it's basically in the heart of rural Zambia where there's no schools, no medical facilities, like nothing. And it's like this, this little center that is um, both a school, and a church, and um, it is a medical clinic, and it's a community center, and it's a hub for all of these people in rural Zambia. These are the people that other missions projects and other organizations tend to forget about because they're off the beaten path, they're not glamorous, it, you know, it's, it's nothing along those lines, but it is an opportunity for Shiloh to help, and so we're going we're gonna to help them. Um, obviously, we're going to continue to do stuff here in Southeast Queensland with Shiloh Cares. You know, the flood stuff isn't isn't over. How many know the rebuilding's just starting to begin? So we're going to continue to do that. And obviously, we do stuff in our unis out here. And so that's going to be a focus moving forward. So hallelujah for that. And um, the last one is, and we'll just see what comes of this. I'm 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 just I'm just kind of going to go and see if Jesus is over there asking us to do something. But I'm believing that. Um, I'll be able to get on a plane in September and go through Eastern Europe. Now, Eastern Europe has um, some really interesting challenges that you wouldn't actually think about. They have a group of people there called the Roma people. You probably know them by their colloquial name, gypsies, and um, they're very marginalized. The poverty they live under is extreme. And so I want to go over and check out, um, uh, can, we, can we be a blessing to them? Can we minister to them? What could that actually look like in future? So pray for me as we do that. Um, so I could keep going. There's, there's so many things that, um, that we're doing practically, but those are all the nations we're actually going to be into. So let me encourage you to be praying about that. Um, uh, you know, put a map on your fridge, pray over the map when you see it, right? I, I believe that God is going to do great things through our church. We're doing stuff all over the world, brand new territories we're conquering in Japan and Zambia and Eastern Europe. And I'm believing that God's going to do great things. But my last point, number three, type number three into the chat, I'm nearly done. Number three, you will be rewarded not for what you know, but for what you do. You will be rewarded not for what you know, but for what you do. Now, I love knowledge, right? Hear my heart. I want to make sure we get this out of the way. I love knowledge. 
I'm a nerd. I am a proper nerd. Let's be real. Anyone that's been in this church a while, have you ever met a pastor that loves documentaries as much as I do, right? I am 100% a nerd. These are not glasses to make me look cool. They are legit glasses. I need them to see, and I love Star Trek, right? Um, I am a nerd. I'm not anti-intellectual at all. I love science. I love uh, astronomy. I love mathematics. I love engineering. I love all of those kinds of things, right? And the, th- th- the thing is, um, God is not wowed by our smarts, though. Uh, God does not fawn over how smart we are as a human race. In fact, all we are doing is playing an eternal game of catch-up to God's knowledge. You know, our scientists discover something and we're like, wow, and all patting ourselves on the back about how smart we are. And God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote about that about 3,000 years ago in Scripture. Have a look at this, right? Um, and so um, hear my heart. God's not anti-intellectual either. He gave us brains for a reason. He loves to teach us, right? God loves intellectual knowledge. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But the thing is, we will not get rewarded for what we know. We will get rewarded for what we do. That's the point of this parable. And I know what you're thinking. Well, how does that play into it? Think about this, right? Jesus gets that you're busy. Jesus gets that you have bills. Jesus gets that you have a lot going on in your world, right? And he gets all that. But that's why it means something to him when you go out of your way to do something good, right? He knows that it costs you something. He knows that it isn't easy, but it demonstrates your priority. See, in this parable, what Jesus does is fascinating. He makes it all about him, which takes you and I completely out of the equation, right? It's about feeding Jesus. It's about clothing Jesus. It's about giving Jesus some water. It's about rescuing Jesus, visiting Jesus, providing for Jesus, right? It is not about you. It is not even about how much you love Jesus. It's about do you love Jesus more than you love yourself, right? He gets that you're too busy to go on a mission trip. He gets that you're too strapped to cash to give to missions. He gets you got a lot going on and you don't want to focus on missions right now. He gets all that. But the thing is, you'll be rewarded not for what you know. You'll be rewarded for what you do, right? And so he says, how much do you love me? Do you love me more than your to-do list? Do you love me more than your agenda? Do you love me more than your goals list? Do you love me more than upgrading that TV this year, right? Because let's get real, missions is not easy. If it was easy, there'd be no poverty in the world. If it was easy, there'd be medical treatment everywhere. It'd be, it'd be free and we'd all be able to have as much of it as we like, no matter how impoverished the nations are. Real talk, right? Time out, come on, can we just get real? Doing good is inconvenient. Doing good is costly. Doing good can sometimes be a pain in the neck, right? Um, but that's why it means something to Jesus, because it demonstrates to Jesus that you love him more than you love yourself, right? And the thing is, I like even in this little room here, like let me just point it out to you. Maybe you haven't been here in the building. This is your first time watching online. Come here. You know what you'll discover when you turn up? It isn't a milk bar. <laughs> this isn't a shopping center. Um, this isn't a workshop. It's Shiloh Church. And you know what, Shiloh Church? We do good here, right? We love Jesus more than our goals. We love Jesus more than our genders. We love Jesus more than our wallets. We love Jesus more than our to-do lists. And we get that there will always be a reason to say no to missions. But here at Shiloh, we choose to say yes. We know that it will be hard sometimes. We still say yes. We know that it will be inconvenient. We still say yes. We know that it will be challenging. We still say yes. We know we'll have to think outside the box. We still say yes. We know that there will be other things vying for our attention. We still say yes, right? 
We know at times people won't understand. We still say yes. And you know the reason why we say yes? Because it's King Jesus asking us the question. He's asking for food. He's asking for water. He's asking for shelter. He's asking to be visited, right? He's asking to be rescued. It's King Jesus asking the question. And at Shiloh Church, we love King Jesus more than anything else you could possibly imagine, right? What you do is more important than what you know because that's where the reward comes. And you know, I love, I love the idea of being rewarded. That's great. Some rewards come in heaven. Some rewards come on earth, right? And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, yeah, not always, but sometimes actually it's the little rewards. It's the little things that touch my heart. It's the little things that make a difference. It's the little things that that woman fuzzy in your heart. I got a letter. I don't normally read letters out on a live stream because it's not really not great television, is it? But I'm going to make an exception here because, hey, whatever. <laughs> I've got the camera. <laughs> um, I got a letter. Uh, the week after the floods happened, we went and delivered a whole lot of food to a um, uh, retirement or lifestyle village in Goodna that was impacted by the floods. They were cut off. And um, you know, it wasn't a Christian village. It wasn't one Christian helping another. It was just people in our community, everyday people who needed some good. And we people that do good at Shiloh. So we gave them some food. We didn't ask for any fanfare. We weren't asking for media attention. We didn't call out the cameras to film us. Wasn't doing a live stream on the front lawn, letting everybody know what legends we are. We just went and did our bit and rolled into some bands. Many of you watching probably were with us. We took a whole team there. Anyway, I got a letter in the mail from the residents. Let me read it to you. Dear Christians, the committee and the residences of River Terraces Goodner would like to extend our sincere thanks for your efforts during the recent floods. Your food parcels were greatly appreciated and distributed around the village by our committee. Thank you so much. You are true Christians. Regards. I love stuff like that. That makes my day when I read letters like that. I'm not trying to pressure anybody that's new here, but if you're part of Shiloh, we do good here. We do right? You know, uh, we're not perfect, but we do good. And if you're not sure where to start doing good, just start somewhere, start anywhere, do something, right? Like, uh, for example, we need an army of volunteers for Shiloh Cares, right? So even if you can only help out once in a while, just let us know on the chat, send us a message, right? Um, Start somewhere. We've been partnering with our Strategic partner, Samaritan's person, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in, in cleaning up homes in our community. Give a day, give it two days, give a week, give a, give a Saturday, do something, right? Um, because you can, you, we can help us that way. Um, we're going to take people on missions trips this year. Come along. And if you can't, can't pay for someone to go in your place. Let someone be your proxy, right? Um, there's so much missions needs in all of these countries. Start giving, maybe even in your pay. You know, when you do a tithe, you can you can add another twenty or thirty dollars as part of a transfer. Go straight to missions, right? You can make that part of your weekly giving, right? You know, the best compliment I received in the recent floods. Do you know what it was? This old guy down the street. He stared at me like this, and he goes, "Ah." He goes, "You're one of those Shiloh do-gooders," and I smiled and I said. Yes, we are. You know, um, if you call this church home, you might not be perfect. You may not know every little piece of doctrine there is to know. You may not have lived the most perfect life. You may be a little bit average and rough around the edges in some area. You may be in need of a miracle yourself. But if you call Shiloh home, congratulations. You're one of those do-gooders. Or as Jesus calls them, his sheep.
you know, I thought about how to close a message like this. And um, I thought, why don't, why don't you try what Krista and I try? Why don't you try asking Jesus, is there an area that he's hungry or thirsty or in need of clothing or whatever? Just see what he says. He might say, help out in Christian care. He might say, join the youth team. He might say, bake a cake for your next door neighbor. He might say, um, you know, I don't know, give, give a food parcel away. He might say, start giving a mission. I don't, know, I don't know. I'll leave that up between you and Jesus. But why don't you pray and ask Jesus, is he actually hungry? He might say nothing, but I have a feeling he won't because <laughs> there's a lot of need out there. Whenever I pray that prayer, he usually answers the question. He very rarely leaves me hanging. And some of you are going to say, well, I'll fast about for 40 days. Don't stress too hard about it. Just do it, right? Just do it. Just go and do it, right? When was I hungry? He might ask you, well, I'm hungry right now. Just sign up. Start somewhere. You know, like you might be watching this at two o'clock in the morning. If it's two o'clock in the morning, please don't call me to say that you want to join Shiloh Cares. Call me in the morning. I'll be awake then. I'm asleep now. But you can shoot a message, just a little inbox. Hey, when you're awake, let's chat. I'd love to join Shiloh Cares or um, whatever. Just do something. Start somewhere, right? Respond some way. Let me pray for you. And while I'm praying, just pause. If you're not driving a car or flying a plane or a train or something where it would be dangerous, maybe you could close your eyes too and just block out everything else just for a moment, just for a moment, just for a moment and ask Jesus if he's in need in any area. Be a do-gooder. Be a sheep. Don't be a goat. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. We acknowledge that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that we are going to be in that room one day on final judgment and you are going to lean forward and split people into groups. God, we're not doing this though and we're not asking this question for that reason. We we just love you and we don't want our love to just be intellectual. We want it to come out in how we live our lives and there's so many different ways, Jesus, that we could help you. We just want to do the right thing the right way. So I'm just asking Jesus, where are you hungry? Where are you thirsty? Where are you without clothes? Where are you in prison? Where are you sick? Where are you in need in some way? I just pray that if, and I have a feeling the answer is yes, because our world's crazy right now, right across the globe, that if the answer is yes, that you would just speak to people individually and you would show them, whether it's a picture or a word or whatever, you would show them just where it is that you need them. And, uh, and you give them the courage and the wisdom to take the first step, at least, Lord God, on that journey to providing for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hey, if you watch that, and um, maybe you just had a picture in your mind or whatever, you want to talk to someone about it, reach out to us. We'd love to have a conversation. Um, if you're wanting to volunteer in some area, reach out. We'd love to have a conversation. Because you know what? We're Shiloh. We do good here. And if you've watched this, you've done some good right now. You've devoted some time to God. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be here next week. Next week will be great. Uh, We know you're going to love what God's going to do next week. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. See you later. Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.